Well, I, I was hoping Kate was going to give us that blanket, too. <laughs> I'm a bit of a Star Wars fan, so. <laughs> Man, let's bless the Lord. Let's pray together, guys. Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, uh, just for your goodness. God, I, pr- I just thank you that when we sing to you, uh, we, we don't need to sing tongue-in-cheek. What we declare about you is true. You are a God who is holy. Other than us, you are a God of, of justice. A God who rightfully punishes sin. But a God who hasn't left us in our sin. But provided and made a way for our redemption so that we can be adopted as sons and daughters into your family and inherit eternal life. Oh, Lord, we bless your name. Father, continue working here. We pray and we plead. Lord, do your work in spite of us and for your glory. Oh, Lord, how we ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, today we continue on in our series in the book of Mark, titled, Follow Me, words that Jesus himself speaks several times in the book, telling us to follow him. That is the mark of a disciple, is a follower of Jesus. Titled today's message, Build Your Kingdom, because we're going to take a look into the kingdom of God, what it is and what it means for us in my personal time in God's Word, I've been reading recently through the books of First and Second Kings. And if you read through those books, you'll find out quickly it is a story of Israel's monarchy. King David was the second, and the second king of Israel, but the greatest king of Israel. And from his family came Solomon. And after Solomon, the kingdom was divided in half to the northern part, Israel, and the south, Judah. And both Israel and Judah had kings For decades and generations, the northern kingdom of Israel, all of their kings were wicked, always. They worshipped false gods. They did not perform justice or righteousness. They were evil and wicked kings. And the kings in the south, in Judah, some were wicked, some loved the God of David. But one thing you see throughout the books of 1 and 2 Kings is that there's no king who sat on the throne, who was able to truly bring deliverance to God's people. Yeah, they might have victory over their enemies in the Philistines or the Syrians or the Moabites or the Ammonites, but no king could bring victory over the greatest foe, sin, death, and Satan. Yeah, there were some kings who were just and wanted to rule rightly, but no king perfectly ruled with justice because no king was perfectly righteous. There was no king who established peace definitely. There was no king who brought hope that would never fade away. And so throughout Israel's history, they longed for yet another king, one that God had promised Israel, saying that there would be a king one day who would sit on the throne of David forever. And he would be a perfect king who was good to his people. And so throughout Israel's history, they longed for that ultimate deliverance and final king who would reign forever. 
Today we're going to talk about that king, and his name is Jesus. We're going to talk about his kingdom that is working now in part and will be realized definitely one day. My, my burden is that you would be in awe of God and his kingdom today. I really want us to see things as God sees it, or at least close to that, with a better picture of his kingdom. I want us to be in awe of God's grand and glorious kingdom. There's a story in the book of 1 Kings where King Solomon, probably the wealthiest king in Israel's history, who brought peace in the land. Another queen from a distant land called the Queen of Sheba, she came to see Solomon because she had heard rumors of his wisdom, rumors of his power, rumors of his riches. And she comes and she sees it and she's in awe. And she says, all that I have heard is true. She was in awe of Solomon's kingdom. But even Solomon wasn't the great king. There have been times you've been in awe of things. Maybe you've been to the Rocky Mountains or the Grand Canyon. Maybe you've seen a documentary of those deep sea creatures and you just, you're in awe of the fact that those things exist. The colors, the way they create electricity in their bodies. You ever seen those? Just in awe of that. Maybe you've visited an ancient castle, an ancient ruin, a beautiful cathedral. Whatever it is, you, you've seen things that have created awe in you. But what about God's kingdom? Has that established awe in you? Have you been amazed at God's glorious kingdom? And for a lot of us, that's hard because you can't see it tangibly, but you see the effects of it. Today, we're going to see that God's kingdom is not an imaginary place to be ignored, but a present reality to be adored and a future certainty to be hoped for. God's kingdom is not in in our imagination, but it is now. And it's not only now, but it also will be one day truly finalized. And it's not until we see it in all its beauty that we could be in awe of it. Jesus tells Peter that upon his confession that the gospel would advance, the church would go forward, and the gates of hell couldn't stop it. So every time one of you have put, or somebody puts their faith in Jesus, Colossians 1 tells us that they transfer from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And the gates of hell could not stop that. If you are a child of God, Satan could not prevent that from happening. Because God's kingdom will advance. Will you be a part of that advancement? Will you be a part of seeing that that happen and being amazed and in awe of God who's brought that about? I also want our hearts to ache, to ache over those who are not in God's kingdom. I just, I have a growing just burden, a renewed burden, I should say, that, that we as a church here at the brook would have hearts that ache for people who are far from Jesus. Does it cause you angst? Does it make you just just hurt within at the thought that there's somebody who doesn't know God as his king or her king, Jesus as their savior, but remain in this domain of darkness under the tyranny of sin and the wicked taskmaster who is Satan who will ultimately bring death? Does that hurt you? 
I pray as we see God's kingdom today, we would be blown away by it and that we would be in awe of God, but also have a hurt and a heart that aches for those who are far. I pray God would stir us, Brooke family. As Jeremy was saying here, we give God all the glory for what he has done. He has caused so many paths to cross to create what is here right now. But we have said from day one, Far be it from us to look around the room and say, we're glad there's people here. Close the doors. Let's be one big happy family. Far be it from us. There is a world that is dying in their sin. There is a kingdom that God is advancing. And we want to be a part of that. So I pray that God would awaken you this morning to those realities as we see his kingdom that it would not be an imaginary place to be ignored, but a present reality to be adored and a future, future certainty to be hoped for. And so we find ourselves in the book of Mark. And when you turn your Bibles there to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to backtrack a little bit to where we were at last week just to set the stage. Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, and then we're going to jump over to verses 21 through 35, I think it is, 34. And we're going to look at what Jesus says about the kingdom of God. There'll be times where we'll divert from this passage to look at other places the Bible speaks of the kingdom and put it all together and try to give us a theology of the kingdom of God, an understanding of God's big picture of what he has done. So we're in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you don't own one, it's yours. Please take it. If you do own a Bible, please bring them, mark them up and write in them, take notes, and let's unpack the scriptures with awe because our God is living and active and working through his word. Mark chapter 4, verse 10. When Jesus was alone, those around him and the 12 asked him about the parables. We saw last week that a parable is a story of everyday life that contains a spiritual truth. In verse 11, he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. He says for his followers, he speaks in parables, but it becomes clear what he's trying to say. But for those who are not his followers, Jesus speaks in parables, and they continue on not understanding. And it's because they've hardened their hearts, and Jesus wants his truth to become clear to those who've received it. Some will hear and perceive and believe, while others will hear and resist and persist in unbelief. And Jesus uses parables for those who are determined to persist in unbelief, to keep them in the dark, and for those who are receiving it and believing it to bring them into the light. And so Jesus uses kingdoms, to, uh, I'm sorry, parables to speak in this way. And he says, to you, the secret of the kingdom has been given. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom. And when we study the Bible, we got to ask questions. We're talking about this in our real communities this month of May. That you need to interrogate the text. And he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. And to me, I ask, who has given this secret to Jesus' disciples? And it is a truth that God has opened their eyes to see his truth. And he's given them the ability to understand the secrets of God's kingdom. The word secret could be translated mystery. 
It's used 16 times in the New Testament. And the mystery is not the kind of mystery that's meant to be kept in the dark. And only people can, can stumble upon it from time to time. But it is a mystery that has been revealed and is meant to be revealed. And so Jesus tells them that God is doing something and this secret is being revealed to his followers and now needs to be exposed everywhere. And so we jump down to verse 21. Jesus tells another parable. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus speaks in parables to help them see what God is doing about this kingdom of God. People once ask Jesus, where is the kingdom of God at? Where is it happening? And Jesus tells them in Luke 17, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that could be observed, nor will they look, say, look, there it is, or there it is, or here. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And Jesus is saying, it is here in the now. It is right now. It is expressed partially in the now and will be realized entirely one day in the future. You can say that God's kingdom is already, but not yet. See, there is a kingdom message, and that is the gospel. When Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying there is a message we need you to declare. There is a mission that Jesus put us on, and that's to save sinners. There is a movement where the kingdom of God is to expand far and wide, and it will one day climax when he returns. And so Jesus wants his disciples to begin to understand this parable. And so when he tells them that there is a lamp that's brought He says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not a stand? He's saying, do you ever light a lamp? Do you ever turn your lamp on and have room darkening shade to cover it? It's it's ridiculous thought. You don't take a candle and put something over it to conceal the light. You turn on a light. You turn on a candle so it can give light. And I, I believe what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, I am this lamp. I have come as the king, and have revealed myself, and you cannot keep me in the dark. Jesus is not meant to be a best-kept secret, family. He's meant to be a best-expressed announcement. Best-kept secrets are secrets because people don't want a lot of people to find out about them. I was looking at some best-kept secrets in Chicago, and I was Amazed at things I was finding. I was like, man, I never heard about that. A pedestrian walkway in downtown? Never heard of that thing. Lived here my whole life. Different bakeries and shops. And a lot of people like these secrets kept secret so it doesn't become congested. You might have a favorite restaurant, but you're afraid people are going to find out about it. And it's only you and your buddies who get to know about it because it's a best-kept secret. Jesus is not meant to be a best-kept secret. He's not meant to be kept under wraps and only a few can hear about it. Jesus is saying, I'm a lamp. Don't conceal me. I have revealed myself for all to see. He says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. 
And what he's referring to is, as you read the Bible in the Old Testament, we see that there's this hope that God would bring a deliverer, a king who would establish a kingdom. And there's this hope of his coming, but there's a lot of mystery that's shrouded around who he would be and what his identity would be like. It was concealed. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, repent for the kingdom is at hand. It's in your midst. I am here. I have been revealed. And Jesus is saying, you've got to keep making me known. In the days of David, God told David that he would send one who would establish his kingdom and sit on his throne forever. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, she says, in you, the Lord, she said, the Lord God will give to him, the one in your womb, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Even when Jesus was betrayed, Pilate looked at Jesus and said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you have said so, which is to say, yeah, I'm the king. In Revelation 19, one day our king will return again. And he will come with the wrath of God to judge the wicked. And Revelation 19, 14 through 16 says, He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus is there, the king, the one they've been waiting for, and says, I am a lamp. Don't keep me concealed. We can't let Jesus remain a best-kept secret, family, but a best-expressed announcement. We've got to tell people that there is a king, that God has a kingdom, and that we are called to be those who are citizens declaring our king. And Jesus wants them to know that this is what he's about. In verse 23, he says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Ears are for hearing, eyes are for seeing, Lips are for speaking and lives are for living. And we can choose to hear, to see, to speak, and to live for one thing or something altogether different. Jesus is saying, hear what I say. See me at work. Declare who I am. Live for me, the king. And he said to them, verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention. And we saw last week that some people just, we don't pay attention. When we speak the truths of God, it just falls on deaf ears because our hearts are becoming hardened and we're just like, God, I don't, want, I don't have time for you. And Jesus saying, no, listen to what I'm saying. And there's that great tension, isn't there? Because he continues to speak in parables which are very difficult to understand. But Jesus is saying, when you can hear and receive and begin to perceive and begin to believe, God will get, make things clearer to you. And so this is what he says here in verse 24. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the, to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I'm reading that like, what are you talking about? He who has, he who doesn't have, taken away, given. What's Jesus talking about? I believe what Jesus is saying is, When I'm teaching, you're hearing the truths of my message, this kingdom message. And you who has it and chooses to respond to it, to you, more will be given. You will continue to grow in your understanding. 
But to those who, re- who hear it and choose to do nothing with it, they are as those who have nothing. And Jesus says, even what you have will be taken away. You're going to hear God's word and do nothing with it. Jesus is saying, well, maybe eventually you'll stop hearing it. Whatever you have, if you take it and you respond, Jesus will continue to give us understanding as to who he is and what he's done and what he calls us to. But if we harden our hearts, that message continues to fall until it becomes a faint flicker in our ear. Jesus wants his disciples and to those around, he wants them to hear that God is doing something, but he's not trying to cater to those who are opposed to him. He's saying, these are the parables. This is what I'm declaring. God has a kingdom, and his kingdom is now. He is working now. And he's calling us to believe and trust in him. And he is not meant to be a best-kept secret, but a best-expressed announcement. Verse 26, Jesus continues to speak in parables. He said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Again, speaking of seeds. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. Can you say by itself? First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus continues to speak about the kingdom of God, but in some real parabolic images. So the kingdom of God's like a seed. And I want you to follow this. You plant a seed. You put it in good soil. And he says, you know, if, if you acknowledge it, you, you, you water the, the, the seed, but you take a step back and you look, are you seeing it grow? You don't see it grow. But you go home, you go to bed at night, you wake up in the morning, you might not see nothing, but you do it again, you wake up in the morning, and all of a sudden you see some sprout. And over, over time comes, it begins to sprout more, and it begins to grow ears, and, and before you know it, it's a full head of grain. And, and Jesus is saying, this is how the kingdom of God is. It starts tiny, and it grows gradually, and you do nothing with it to make it happen. He says, you are there, and God is the one doing the work. It's as if Jesus is telling us, God is always at work to advance his kingdom, even when you can't see it happening. Now, for some people, you become discouraged by this. Like, well, if God is doing all the work, then what's the purpose of me? Let me just go to the side and do nothing. That's not what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's saying God is the one doing the work, which is a refreshment to me. Man, praise God it doesn't fall on me because I mess up all the time. You mess up all the time. And God's saying it's not dependent on you or me, but it's dependent on God. He causes the growth. The kingdom of God will grow. It happens subtly. It happens gradually. But it will happen. God causes the growth. I want to challenge you, as you go about life, and you pray for people who are far from Jesus, or even in your own heart right now, maybe you have not fully surrendered your life to Jesus. I want you to see God at work in your life. And you've got to stop to see it. You, you've got to stop and look around. And things you once called coincidences, you need to put those aside and say there's no such thing as chance or coincidence or luck. In fact, do your best to rid those out of your vocabulary, especially when speaking of things of God. 
There is a God who is supreme. There is a king who has come. There is a kingdom that is present. There is a God who is at work. And if we stop just sometimes to take a look and realize that conversation wasn't an accident, that, that idea wasn't by chance, that song that, that I grew up singing in with, you know, as part of the church that just came in my ear, that's, that, that's, that's not luck. There is a God who was weaving your life together, drawing people to himself. And he's causing the growth. But what I love is God not only says you know, he's going to do the work, but he invites us into the process. The, the eternal God of this universe who spoke the world into existence, says, hey, you want to join me in my kingdom-building work? You want to be a part of something that makes an eternal impact? And when you die, it will still matter? He's inviting us into that process. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, God has a kingdom. When you put your faith in Jesus, you become part of his, his kingdom. You are citizens, and now you are his ambassadors who are out to this foreign land called earth to represent the king. Ambassadors who don't represent are not ambassadors. People who live in a foreign land as if they were citizens, where's home then? See, Jesus says our home is God's kingdom, which is a present reality. But a future, ultimate time, it will come in its certainty entirely. We belong to that kingdom. And so, therefore, on this earth, we are immigrants. We are foreigners. We are aliens. We are ambassadors. And so the king is the one who causes the growth, but he invites us into his mission. See, it's God who causes the growth. This is important, family, and I want us to really understand this. When someone puts their faith in Jesus, it is not because they chose to put their faith in Jesus. It is because God has given them the faith to trust him. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then he says, This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. See, if faith was something that we mustered, our salvation would be by works. It's because I mustered my faith. And if it were by works, who gets the glory? Moi. So Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. If you stand here and boast in yourself because you trusted in Jesus, you've got it all wrong. You stand here and say, I am a sinner who has been saved by the grace of God, who gave me faith to believe him. And out of that faith, therefore, now I have repented of my sin and turned to God. But it is a work that God has accomplished. He is the one who causes the seed to sprout and to grow, even when we don't know he's doing it. God is at work. But but if we lose the awe of the kingdom, we become so comfortable we, we, we lose sight of it. The comfort in America plagues our mission, family. 
We become so at peace with, with all the things that we're enjoying, and we live kingless lives. Craig Rochelle wrote a book he titled The Christian Atheist. And his subtitle tells it all. Believing in God, but living like he doesn't exist. Isn't that striking? The Christian atheist, believing in God, but living like he doesn't exist. If we realize that there is a kingdom here, and there is a king who has called us his citizens and sent us as his ambassadors, and if we say, eh, I'm not going to do that, we are living a practical kind of atheism that says, God, you don't exist because you don't matter. And, and Jesus says, God does the work, but he invites us into the process. So when we announce missional opportunities here at the Brook, they're not simply Sunday morning announcements. This showcase on Friday is because is we want to see people enter into the kingdom of God. We know there are people who are going to be here on Friday as there are people here on Sundays who are in darkness. And we want your hearts to ache for them. And we want you to pray that God would remove scales. And when they see a refurbished furniture, they can hear of a God who takes lives and refurbishes lives through faith in Jesus. We're going to declare that. And this is not just an announcement, but this is part of God's kingdom advancement. You know, again on Friday night, afterwards, Steinmetz is having a a lock-in, an all-nighter at the school. And they've asked us if we would send volunteers to help. And they said, you know, they can spend two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever they want to do, from Friday to Saturday. Will you say, you know what, I I want to be a part of what you're doing, God. I'll sacrifice some sleep to get to know some students with the hope of sharing Jesus with them. On May 14th, Steinmetz is doing a festival, a Steinmetz fest on a Saturday. And they asked us if we could help them set up and take down. They've given us the opportunity to set up a booth there for the brook. See, God has given us an opportunity to be salt and light And these aren't simply announcements, but it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus and kingdom residents. And will we take these opportunities? Or will we be so consumed about the things we want to do for ourselves and neglect the kingdom work? This this is real. I don't want us to lose sight of this. Jesus says here in verse 29, When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus is telling us here that there will come a time where the kingdom work on this earth as it is now will be done. And God, the great harvester, will come with his sickle and he will begin to reap and separate his children from those who have not grown, who have resisted and rejected him in unbelief. At that time, he would establish his kingdom here on earth for all of eternity. And we don't know when the reaper will come with his sickle and draw out his harvest. But we, until that time, have the responsibility of being about his work. We've got to take that on. In the movie Star Wars, there's a time where Darth Vader is talking to the emperor, and he has that famous line. He says, 
What is thy bidding, my master? He recognized the emperor is his authority, and Darth Vader and all of his power still says, What is thy bidding, my master? And when we recognize our great king, we come to him and say, Jesus, what is thy bidding? What do you want me to do? Whatever it is, what do you want me to do? Wherever you want me to go, where do you want me to go? I'll do it. Here am I. Send me. Jesus is saying God is doing a kingdom work. He invites us to take part in it. God is working when we can't see it. And God's kingdom is also an unstoppable force reaching everywhere. He tells another parable in verse 30. And with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus tells another parable. There's a mustard seed. And there's a picture of the mustard seed uh, that was just shown on the screen. It's a tiny picture. It's like a, a little seed you put on your finger. That's a mustard seed. And Jesus said, this is how the kingdom of God is like. It, it starts small. Just one day Jesus shows up and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about him. A mustard seed planted grows into what you see next, a mustard tree. And there are different kinds of mustard trees, but this is one of them. That little seed could become this tree, big enough for a bird to fly in and make its nest. Jesus says his kingdom will continue to increase like an unstoppable force. And birds will even come in. And I'm like, what are you talking about these birds? Like, what's about the birds, Jesus? Like, if, you, if you look in the Old Testament, like Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. I won't read it now. But Israel is often uh, described as like an olive tree. And the Gentiles, the the non-Jewish people, are often referred to like birds. And I think what Jesus is saying here is that God is building his kingdom, and it's going to grow, but it's not only for the Jewish people, but birds are going to come on in. And if you're not Jewish, you're a bird. And you're making a nest in a tree. You're a resident of the kingdom if you have followed Jesus and turned from your sin. So Jesus is telling us God's doing a work when we can't see it. It might be slow and gradual, but God's not slow because of slowness, but he's taking his time because he's patient. And he wants us to be about his kingdom work. This is why we talk about multiplying all the time here at the brook. This is why we say we need more real communities. Why? Because there's more people who need more places to hear this good news. So we want to be in other homes, in other neighborhoods, so we can be light in darkness. We want to to plant churches. I, I so long for the day where we can rise up somebody here and give them funds and people, the best of our people, And say, go start a new work. Continue to advance the kingdom into a new community. Be salt and light. And so we want to keep this in front of your ears because there's going to come a day where I'm going to stand up like this and I'm going to say, and who's going to go with this person? 
And I'm going to challenge you to die to your comforts, to consider relocating your family, to relocate your finances to support a church plant, to go into a new community. We're going to challenge you to do that. And not because the brook wants to make a name for ourselves, but we have a king. There is a kingdom. It is now. It is a reality. It's not imaginary. It can't be ignored. Do we adore our king? And do we anticipate a future? And when we get to that time, we say, God, we we gave our lives. We gave our money. We gave our time. We gave our comforts to advance your kingdom. Mustard seed is going to grow. It's growing. And though it started humble and small and tiny, it is a force to be reckoned with, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You ever walk by a swamp? It smells. They stink because they have standing water. The standing water is there, and it just reeks. When we see the kingdom, and we see our king, and we hear his message, the gospel, and we see this mission to reach people, and we know it's moving, and we choose to sit down, we become like a swamp. We name the church the brook because it's flowing water. Far be it from us, Lord, that we would become stagnant in our comforts, knowing that there is a coming a time where the harvest will be drawn out and those who remain will be there for judgment. And our great Jesus will come, King of kings and the Lord of lords, and tread the winepress of God's wrath against the wicked. We have a responsibility to declare the good news. And God has given us the privilege, the privilege of being his ambassadors. The kingdom of God is God's reign over all of creation in the now expressed partially and in the future realized entirely. There's a message, it's called the gospel. There's a mission, it's to save the lost. There's a movement because it will expand and it will climax one day. I often feel this tension, and I think it's a good tension, because we want to care for one another. I was talking to Jeremy and I was talking just this week. We, we know from many of your stories, and we know there's a lot of hurts in some of you. You're experiencing all kinds of heartache in life. And we want to be good brothers and sisters and love you and walk with you and see the Lord heal you and restore you. We also want to challenge us, though, to get out of our comfort zones. And so this is, this is the identity of the church. We walk these two beautiful paths of loving one another but also trying to expand the circle. Because if we want to keep it here, we lose the mission. If we only do the mission, we lose the loving each other. And we want to learn how to do both, and it's hard. It's hard. There's some times where I'm just thinking about how we're going to reach lost people, and I realize, man, there's someone hurting right here, and, I just, and my heart aches. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't see that. Other times I'm hurting, and I'm like, Oh, man, but there's these guys over here who are far from God, and and it's hard to keep that balance, which is why as a family, we got to extend forgiveness. we got to show grace. we got to stir each other on, like I'm trying to stir you right now, to love each other, but also to extend out to others. we got to walk these two things till Jesus comes back. 
church is an unstoppable force, and we need to be the church. But in order to be the church, we can't let Jesus be a best-kept secret. But we got to tell people about him. Ultimately, family, the kingdom of God is not an imaginary place that you can ignore, but it is a present reality to be adored and a future certainty to hope for. And if that's where you're at, will you join in this good work? Will you be in awe? Will you join God in his kingdom work? Will you be like that little shop of horrors animal creature? Feed me, Seymour. He just does nothing else but wants to eat and consume and consume. Let's go, family. Let's do this for the glory of our king, for the exaltation of his name, for the spreading of his fame to all places and all peoples in Chicago and outside of Chicago and throughout this globe. We want to see birds everywhere make a nest in God's gracious mustard tree. Let's pray. Father, round up the troops. Round us up, God. God, I confess, Lord, how easy it is for me to just love things like my own personal comforts. I can list them off by the dozens. And Lord, you have given us this earth with so many good things, so it's not about enjoying the good. It's about losing sight of eternity. Father, help us collectively as a family not ignore our king. And let us see your kingdom, as it were, with a fresh eyesight. Just as Elijah saw the armies of God when faced and confronted with the armies of man. And may we just be confident in you. Oh, Lord, I know, God, I know there are some here who just feel so far, Lord, from you. I know, God, there are some here who just, they didn't know you are king, but just they don't they don't have a love, God. There's no passion. They're just they're tapped. Lord, I pray you would renew them and stir them, give them ears to hear you. Help them pay attention to you, God. Help them see you at work, oh Lord. God, for those who've had the courage to come today, not knowing who you are, but knowing that they need that they need to be here. Lord, I pray that they would turn from their sin and turn to Jesus in faith and in repentance and experience forgiveness and adoption into your family and eternal life enjoyed now. So Lord, we, we confess all the ways that we fall short. We confess all the ways that we have ignored your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord, that when we come before you and we say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me for being about me. Forgive me for living for today. That you receive us. And you say, child, you are forgiven. So, Lord, 
those who need to repent, that we would do that today. For those who need that shot in the arm, God, would you just give them that renewed passion and zeal. Father, for those who are in the domain of darkness, transfer them today into the kingdom of your Son. May they trust in Jesus. Lord, may we be about our Father's business. Do this work, family, that we do not become swamps.